into Matthew 6 today. This is when it starts to get ugly for us. Just got to be honest. Matthew 5 is all great. Yeah, woohoo, that's what I want. I want to be there. But this is where the rubber starts to meet the road. So if you don't mind, will you stand with me as we look at Matthew 6, the first four verses there, verses 1 through 4? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Father, we know that through all of this, as we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount, that it is the great intention of your Son to make us into what he teaches that we should be. And Father, as we get into some of these practicalities in Matthew 6, we know that that invitation still stands. You're not inviting us into doing anything, but you're continuing to tell us what you want us to become, what you want to make us into. And so, God, we ask that that thought, that understanding goes before everything that is said here this morning, that we stand with you willing to be made into exactly the person who Jesus desires to make us into. And we ask all that in his name. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. So before we face our crossroads for today that's in the Sermon on the Mount, I want to just take a moment to do a little recap. So if you remember, in our first week, we're in Matthew 5. We looked at the first 20 verses, and we faced the crossroads of teaching or training. We faced the reality that Jesus came to make us into what he teaches that we should be, which means that we have to approach this greatest teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. We have to approach that as more than just teaching. We have to view it as training. His words are training us to become who he wants us to be, who he's trying to make us into. He's training us to desire to have the life that he calls us to have. And he's training us to make us into the kind of people who will do what he did the way he did it by the same power he did it in the Holy Spirit. And then last week we looked at Matthew 5, 21 through 48. Remember what that culminated with, that great invitation in verse 48, to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And as we explored those verses, we saw that the ultimate invitation of Jesus was to actually be more than good. It was to be holy. The call to holiness was summed up in that last verse, verse 48. It's a call to be holy as God is holy. And, and so the crossroads we faced last week was, do I want to be a good person or am I going to let Jesus make me holy? And we looked at how to 
be holy is to actually have the very disposition of Jesus himself, the heart of Jesus himself in me. And so that's how we fulfill that call to be holy. And now today, as we go into Matthew 6, we're going to face a crossroads that probably is not a comfortable one for many of us. It's the crossroads, am I going to be a giver or am I going to be generous? And, and so we're going to begin to see, as we press into Matthew 6, all generous people are givers, but not all givers are generous. And that's where the choice for us comes in. And so let me give you an example from one of my own failings that will help you hopefully illustrate what it looks like, what the difference between being a giver and being, a gener being generous is. So years ago, I was a relatively new Christian, and I wanted to give him my time and talents. And I, I really, being honest, didn't want to give so much of my treasure because I thought God would be okay with me hanging on to my money if I just gave him enough of my time and my talents. And, and so at that time, I was walking with Jesus. I thought it was all about deeds, not heart. I didn't understand the heart issue just yet. And so anyway, we're at our church in Savannah, massive church. There's probably about 7,000 people at that time. And we were doing this popular ministry that many of you know of, Operation Christmas Child. You ever heard of it? Shoeboxes and, and all that stuff through Samaritan's Purse. It's a great, great ministry. Well, they needed somebody to volunteer to load the boxes onto a truck. So I said, okay, I'll do that. But you have to understand, it was a church of 7,000 there were a lot of shoeboxes. Literally, we filled an 18-wheeler trailer with shoeboxes. And so when I got there, the trailer was outside, and we had these crates that you've all seen, right? They get about 20 shoeboxes in a bigger box, close it up, send it on its way. Well, when I got there and I walked into our fellowship hall that was filled with these shoeboxes and these crates, I was the only one there. Nobody else showed up. And so I'll be honest, I was not happy because my thought was in a church this size, there should be more than just me here. And I was frustrated and I was a little bitter and I was angry and I was judging everybody else who wasn't there. And then I became like this vindictive Tasmanian devil of a trailer loader. I mean, I went nuts out of frustration and anger. I'm moving these boxes. I'm throwing them all on. I even consciously made the choice in my head. All right, I'm going to load this whole thing by myself to prove a point. And I did. I got the whole truck loaded, throwing these big boxes on there, stacking them and pushing them around. Now, mind you, I was doing it in such a way that everybody could hear me doing it. I don't think I said anything inappropriate, but there were boxes that were hitting pretty hard inside the trailer. And, and when I got done, I got the whole thing loaded. And, and one of my friends who was a pastor at a church at the time came up and he's like, well, that's amazing. I can't believe you loaded that whole truck by yourself. You served God and those kids well today. And even in my immature faith, while I was doing that, all that was clanging in my head was Matthew 6, 1. And so I told him, no, I didn't. I didn't serve anybody today. I served my ego, and I served my anger, and I served my frustration. And honestly, I feel kind of guilty and shameful about it because I served my pride and my desire to be seen as someone who could get the job done, whether you were going to help me or not, that I could accomplish this. Even when everybody else abandons me, I can get it done. I don't need anybody else. 
And so here's the thing. I wasn't giving out of a generous heart. I was giving out of a self-serving desire. And it was probably a good four hours of loading that trailer. When I walked away, I understood deeply what Jesus meant in Matthew 6, these first four verses. You have received your reward. I received it at that moment. I don't even expect God to bring this up when I get to heaven. I think he's going to go, hey, glad you're here, but you know we're not talking about the truck, right? That's done. That's over. You got nothing waiting on you here for that. You got what you wanted. And, and I sincerely hope that everyone in this room, everyone watching online has experienced a moment like that. I hope you have. A moment of being a giver but not being generous. And I hope that honestly because I don't want to be the only occasionally self-serving and bitter giver in here. I'd like to think that some of you are that way too sometimes. Listen to this quote from Dallas Willard. I think it speaks to the fact that my distorted giving isn't unique to me. He says this, Having shown us true well-being and the goodness of the kingdom heart, Jesus now in Matthew 6 alerts us to the two main things that will block or hinder a life constantly interactive with God and healthy growth in the kingdom. These are the desire to have the approval of others, especially for being devout, and the desire to secure ourselves by means of material wealth. I think these two desires that Dallas mentions are the ones that Jesus is addressing here at the beginning of Matthew 6. My hope is that we can connect the dots from Matthew 6 with what we've already examined in Matthew 5, that we can see this connection between Matthew 5, 48, you be holy, you be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect, and what Jesus is stepping into in Matthew 6. Because Matthew 6 is beginning to reveal the heart of God for our practical purposes. He's revealing what the holiness of God is from a heart place. And to his apprentices that seek the heart of God, he is saying, I told you to be holy just as God is holy. Now I'm going to tell you how to realize that. What a holy heart does. What a holy heart desires. How it moves and works in the world. And so we look at Matthew 6. The first word is the word beware. You ever been moving about somewhere and had somebody kind of encourage you to beware of something? You know, you're walking down a path, beware. What is the first thing you think? Is there a snake? Is there a bear? Is there a moose? What is it? Something bad is lingering here. There is a danger I don't perceive that you saw, and so you told me to beware. And so the question becomes, beware of what? You've seen these videos where, like, these spouses are pranking each other and they act like there's something there, like a, a, an animal or a snake, and they just start running and screaming. And the other person immediately has no idea what's going on, but they react. I think that's how we should be with this word beware. We don't necessarily know what's going on, but when Jesus says beware, you need to beware. There's no way around it. And I think what he's saying is beware of being a giver from a heart that desires to be seen by others. A heart that seeks to be noticed and to be praised. Now, remember this. Jesus came to make us into what he teaches that we should be. And here he is teaching us not only to give, but to do it from a generous heart. He goes beyond saying, 
don't just give to be noticed. He goes beyond that. He goes to a place of saying, if you do just give to be noticed, you are in danger. That's what beware means. And so that begs the question, danger of what? What am I in danger of, Jesus, if I give in such a way that people will praise me? And in Matthew 6, 2, he tells us what the danger is. You will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And so that begs another question, doesn't it? What is the ultimate reward from God? Well, it's a life that's in union with Him, that's connected to Him, that's in oneness with Him. It's the same life that Jesus lived. So the reward of God that He offers us is the same life that Jesus lived. A life in God, a life one with God. And so the danger of being a giver who is desiring to be seen is that it pulls me from that life of union with God. It pulls me out of the kingdom of God here and now. I don't get to live in that when my desire is to be a giver who's noticed by others. And so hopefully you'll remember from, from previous messages that the kingdom of God is the place where God's effective will is actually realized. So what is God's kingdom? It's the place where his will is done. And so the struggle in this life is to live in his kingdom or my kingdom. I want to live in the place where God's will is done, not my will is done. And so when it comes to giving, God's will is that we be generous of heart not simply givers. And so then what happens is this. When I give to be seen, I'm being moved out of God's effective will by my own choices and actions. They're moving me towards a place where I get what I want, but I only get what I want. That's why Jesus can say, when you give in this way, you've already received your reward. You got what you wanted. What did you want? I wanted people to see me and go, wow, you're the best truckloader that's ever lived. And so I got that. Because I wasn't giving out of a generous heart. I was giving out of self-serving desire. And so Jesus' warning then in his discussion of giving is a warning about the heart. It's a warning about desire. About what we ultimately are going to structure our lives towards. What am I going to be moving towards? And so life in the kingdom of God is where God's will is done. Am I going to move towards that by being a person who gives out of a generous heart? Or am I going to live in the kingdom of me where my will is done and be a giver who gives to be seen, to be noticed, to be praised? And so now by contrast, we need to look at Matthew 6.3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so here's the contrast to the giver. He begins to introduce the generous person here in Matthew 6.3. He's telling us what it looks like to have a generous heart, to be a person of generous spirit, the same way he was. He's speaking to the type of giving that comes out of a generous heart. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's the same type of heart that he himself has. He's saying that giving that is done from a generous heart has some key markers to it. First, it flows naturally out of the life of Christ that is in you. To say that in another way, a giver of a generous heart sees the need and meets the need. That's just how it works. It just flows naturally out. The second thing is it's so instinctive 
that the generous person may not even recall their acts of generosity. Give in a way that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. That's a way of saying a person of a generous heart is leaving all this goodness behind, giving of themselves, and they don't even remember it. And here's the third thing. To be a giver of a generous heart is actually expected of people who are an apprentice of Jesus. Notice this. He doesn't say, if you give to the needy. He says, but when you give to the needy. The implication is that he wants to make us into the kind of people who are doing this as a lifestyle and a habit and a practice out of the heart that he's given us. And, and so to see that, I want to revisit Matthew 5.20. That's when he says, don't be like the hypocrites. Listen to the difference now in Matthew 5.20. We're going to go backwards just a little bit. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And what does it mean to have righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, we're going to push into Luke, because I want you to see this. I want to build this structure that you can hang all this on. So when we go into Luke 11, Luke's accounting of the Sermon on the Mount, we look at verse 42 and listen to this. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You catch that? The problem with the Pharisees wasn't that they weren't giving, they weren't tithing. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that they did it out of a desire to be seen. They were following the Old Testament exhortation to tithe, to give 10% to God, and it was worthless in God's eyes because it wasn't coming from their heart. It was coming from a place that said, tell me what the rules are and I will follow them and you will call me good. Instead of a place that says, no, I have the heart of Christ in me. I want to be holy as my Father in heaven is holy. So change my heart into the kind of heart that will do everything you ask me to do without concern, without reservation. And then listen to this in Matthew 23, verse 5, talking about the Pharisees. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. That was the very thing that Jesus is warning about in Matthew 6, 1. Do you see the problem there? It wasn't their behavior. Their behavior was exactly what God said to do. But their behavior was from a heart that desired to make much of themselves instead of a heart that was the very heart of God coming to life in them. And so we go back to one more verse in Matthew 23. Sounds familiar because he said the same thing a lot in Matthew 23. That's that section of scripture where almost every verse starts with, woe to you. Jesus is proclaiming all these woes to the religious people. And, and here's what he says in Matthew 23, 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither yourselves, or you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Did you hear that? They who give to be seen by others do not enter the kingdom. 
the Pharisees. That was the issue Jesus had with them. You're giving to be seen. You're doing these things to create your own righteousness. And guess what? You're not entering into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And why? We go back to, you want your reward? If your reward is to be seen, you can have it. But that's all you're going to have. To be somebody who is deeply obedient, but not from the heart of Christ in us, gains us nothing. To be a good person, but not be holy, gains us nothing in the kingdom of God. It's about becoming who Jesus teaches us we should be. And so when you give to be seen, you're actually positioning yourself to live outside of God's reward, which is, remember, his constant presence. So when I am doing things to build myself up, I'm actually stepping outside of the reward of God, which is his constant presence with me. Union with him, oneness with him, life actually in the Trinity, not a life that I hope puts me next to the Trinity one day. So it changes everything of how we live here now. That's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. And so to be a giver instead of being generous is dangerous because it is a step out of God's effective will, his kingdom, his presence, which is the greatest reward that anyone can desire and anyone can realize who desires God. So that's the warning. That's the warning to the one who is content to be a giver from a heart that is not redeemed in Jesus. And so now I want to spend a little bit of time. There's the warning. Beware. Beware of what? Beware of giving in such a way that builds you up because it's moving you out of the kingdom of God, the place where his presence abides and resides with you and leaving you only with the praise of the very people you're trying to impress. So there's the warning. That's what beware is. But I want to go back and I want to tell you what some of the benefits are of having a heart that is generous, of living into that generous heart of Jesus that he is putting in me. And it's the heart that's redeemed by him, that's inflamed by him, that inhabits us and brings his very life into us. And so to do that, to tell you about his heart in you, about being generous instead of just a giver, I have to go back to Malachi 3.10. And so Malachi 3.10 says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. See, the practice of tithing is a spiritual discipline that's given to us in the Old Testament. Remember, a spiritual discipline is any intentional activity I engage to allow Christ to have his way in my heart. That's the point of it. The point is to say, I'm going to do this as a practice so that you can have your way in me. And guess what? The Pharisees were practicing the spiritual discipline. The Pharisees were tithing even down to the slightest little bit of dill and mint. They were practicing it. But they were practicing this as a means to have some self-realized holiness in Jesus' day. They were doing this to be able to say, I am righteous because of what I do. 
It was the standard that they judged their personal righteousness by. Am I following the tithe? And I know that many churches still preach and teach and practice tithing. And I agree with the tithe, but I agree with it as a great starting point. A starting point in training and becoming generous. See, here's the thing. If we do what the Pharisees did and we do it so that we can look at ourselves and say, I am devout, I am righteous, I am holy, are we not going to get the same reward they got? Which was you are shutting the doors to the kingdom of heaven in people's faces and you don't even enter in. And so here's my hope. My hope that is that as Christ has his way in us, in our hearts, and, and he makes us more than just a giver, as he makes us more generous of heart, we'll be the kind of people that go way beyond tithing. We'll actually be people of generous heart. Not just with money, which is what a lot of churches want to limit the conversation to, but with our talents and our time also. The same way Alberto and Jackie were generous with their time this past year when they said, no, our church family has a need and I can fill it, I'm gonna step in. The same way many of you are generous with your time and your talents every Sunday morning and during the week. The same way the 25, 30 people that showed up because there was yard work to be done said, no, I'm gonna be generous with my time and my talent on a Saturday morning. That's what a church that is filled with people of generous hearts looks like. We, we not only make sure that we're giving of our money, but we recognize that's just the starting point. That's the training wheels. Tithing isn't, isn't the bicycle, it's the tricycle. Everybody can ride that. But we're made to become generous of heart. Tithing's not the goal, it's the starting line as we seek to participate with Jesus in receiving his very heart in ourselves. And Jesus clearly didn't view the tithe as a goal. Could you imagine if he did? Father, I want to live for you to the line of 10%. I'm willing to die, 10%. Put me on the cross for one hour, not six. Don't make me fully dead, just make me a little dead. Listen to the heart of Jesus in Philippians 2, 6 and 7. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. But taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Emptied is 100%, not 10%. If your bank account is empty, you know the difference. It's all gone. If your bank account is empty 10% and you're like, eh, okay, where do y'all want to go eat? We're right. Can you see how the spiritual practice of tithing is a beginning point? It's not an ending point. If my desire, if what I seek to have is the very heart of Christ in me, then I'm talking about a starting place. And so as we stand at the crossroads of being a giver or being generous, the first step down the path to becoming generous is to seek to practice the discipline of tithing. That's the first step. Knowing that it's not an end, but a beginning. Knowing that 
hearts, unlike the Pharisees that say, hey, I stepped into this. Doesn't mean I've arrived. Doesn't mean I'm now somehow righteous. But I do expect God in my spiritual discipline of tithing, I do expect for you to transform my heart into a generous heart. Take me beyond being a giver. And I know some of us are saying, dude, I can barely live on 100% of my income. And you want me to live on 90%? There's no way. I get it. I just want to remind you of Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the, his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Don't check out on me yet because I'm talking about money. Because I'm not really talking about money. I'm talking about your heart. So if you're hearing me talk about money, let that go. That's not what I'm talking about. Continue with me as we wrap this up. A generous heart begins to take root in us as we recall and praise God for his provision through Christ. So as we recall God's provision and we praise him for it, a generous heart starts to come alive in us. First for my soul and then for my life in this world. I begin to say, God, thank you for what you've done by saving my soul. And thank you for what you're doing in me and with me in this world. But make no mistake, his spiritual provision becomes more of what I seek. The concern over body and food and clothing and shelter actually begins to wane. And that's what Jesus is teaching in verse 25 of Matthew 6 that we're going to look at in a few weeks where he says, don't be worried. Be anxious about nothing. And so I know that one of the perceptions of the Western church is that we are always trying to get money. You know why that's one of the perceptions of the North American and Western church? Because there's a lot of churches that are always trying to get money. And we get the reputation of all those who do that. But can I just quote the great theologian and Christian philosopher Bono for just one second? The God I believe in isn't short of cash, mister. He's not. He's not short of cash. This is not about money in the coffers of churches. This is about hearts transformed to become generous so that we will meet every need of the world. Needs they don't even know they have. Needs of being known. See, the tithe isn't about supplying the church with resources. Honestly, and I'm only going to speak for myself. I'm not going to speak for our elders. This could make the business meeting this afternoon interesting. Let me just tell you this. There is nothing your money could buy me that would satisfy my heart more than Jesus. Therefore, I am rather indifferent to your money. It's just the way it is. This isn't about that. But now I want to tell you one of the benefits of becoming a generous person. And that benefit is a vaccination. Becoming generous of heart actually vaccinates us. I know, I know, it's only been, what, a year or so, we're not supposed to use the V word. But hear me out. As I begin desire, to desire to be generous as Jesus is generous, as you seek to have his heart become more and more alive in you, and as you ask him to create in you a heart that will gladly be poured out for his glory and for the blessing of others, you actually become immune to idolatry. I'm not talking about the idolatry that, that is statues in the house or you know, setting up altars to Baal or whatever it may be. I'm talking about the idolatry that prosperity brings. 
We all live in prosperity. We are in danger of idolatry of money and home and vacation and power and job and status and car and kids' success. That's the idolatry I'm talking about. Because here's the deal. Idolatry is the belief that my resources are actually my source. Let me say that again. Idolatry is the belief that my resources are actually my source. And as we become generous of heart, we freely give of our time and our talents and our treasures. And let me tell you a dirty little secret. What I freely give will never become my source. You will never rely on what you freely give away. It's just not possible for a human being to say, this keeps me safe. This keeps me well. This keeps me strong. This keeps me significant. And now let me give it away. That's not how we operate. And so the invitation of the tithe in Malachi and in Leviticus and other points of the Old Testament is actually an inoculation against idolatry. It's a way to say, I will never be ruled by my money because I freely give it away. Here's what happens. Generosity clears the heart and it allows my greatest source, the life of Christ in me, to be the only source for every aspect of my life. That's why Jesus is saying, don't just be a giver, be generous. And so here's the question. The question is, do you want to be more than a giver? Do you want to become a person who is generous as Jesus was generous? If the answer to that is yes, then here's what you do. You start with your desire. What is it you want? Do you desire to have the heart of Jesus in you or do you desire to have comforts of the world? Do you desire to have a heart that says, pour me out, or do you desire to, to be built up in the eyes of others? Because if you want that heart, that same heart that was in Jesus, then know this. His intention is to make you generous, not simply give you pathways to give. His intention is to empty you of yourself and to free you from any resource that could be perceived as a source in your life, to protect you, inoculate you from falling into the trap of idolatry of the Western world, which is all the good stuff that we have. And so as always, as we wrap up, I want to invite you into a practice this week. And I know many of you are thinking, here it is, he's going to tell me to start tithing. No, I'm not, I'm not. That's not the practice. You do with that what you want. That's not my issue. That's between you and God. I'm not the one that's growing you into Christ. I'm simply a guide that's oftentimes pretty inadequate, but a guide nonetheless. Here's what I want to invite you into. I want to invite you into asking Jesus to make you a generous person and to do it in you and to bring all that comes with that. I want you to spend some time in prayer this week. Listen to this in John 14, verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, as churches, 
In the Western world, we love to take that verse and go, well, you can't pay your rent. Have you asked Jesus? You got a bad job. You need a better job. Have you asked Jesus? Grandma's sick. Have you, have you asked Jesus to heal her? And all those things may be true. But here's what I want. I want us to become the kind of people that when we go to Jesus and ask anything in his name, what we're asking is that he makes us like him. Instead of bring me stuff that makes me safe and secure and helps other people see me, makes me feel important in the world. Why don't we take this verse, John 14, 13, and 14, and go, aha, there it is. Now I'm only going to come to you, and the one thing I'm asking is that you make me like you. And I'm going to ask over and over and over again. I'm going to be like that widow that, that he talks about in the gospel that was banging on the judge's door all night. And the guy finally said, I got to do something because she's just going to drive me nuts. Well, I say we drive Jesus nuts with our banging. We bang on that door and say, all I want is to be you because there's too many people around here who need you. Which means we need a bunch of you to go out there where people are lost and hurt and confused and run down. And we think what they need is our words. So Jesus, give me the words. But that's not what they need. They need him. So why aren't we becoming the kind of people who will go to him in prayer with the same fervency when the bank account's low or when grandma's sick or when the car won't start or when the job's bad, with the same fervency we approach him for those things, why aren't we going to him with that same energy and saying, what I want, what I'm asking is you make me like you. And I'm going to keep asking it. And I'm going to drive you nuts with the asking until you do it. Because it's desire to start with. You want to be a generous person? John 14, 13, and 14. Whatever you ask in his name, he will do. So ask for that. In your prayer, make your prayer, Lord, put in me the very heart that was in you so that your Father is glorified, so that you are lifted up, and you can draw all people to yourself. That's what I want. So I'm not asking to, to tithe. You want to give, give. You don't, don't. Remember what Bono taught us. The God I believe in isn't short of cash, mister. But don't leave here without committing in your heart to saying, I will come to you with fervency and desire and beg you and continue to press towards you until you make me into you. Father, we're so grateful that you call us to a generous heart because, God, the call to be generous of heart actually reveals your greater desire for us. Your greater desire isn't simply to have churches all over the world that have their coffers stuffed. There's churches in the world right now that have that. Some of the richest organizations on the planet are churches. God, that's not what we want. That's not what we need. What Saria needs is people of generous heart, walking and living, going to work, shopping in the stores, living in neighborhoods, and pouring themselves out for others the same way you did for us. And so God, remind us this week as a body to constantly and continuously come to you in your name and ask that. 
that you would bring to life in us your very heart, that you would move us from the kind of people who are givers. It's not a bad thing to give, but the greatest thing is to have a heart that is generous. The greatest thing is to be the kind of person who leaves a wake of goodness and mercy as we walk through the world, and others are blessed by that. Lord, that's our cry, that's our seeking, that's our desire. Keep us unified in that as a body here at Temple this week. And remind us constantly to come to you to ask for that heart. And we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.